The book of James uh, is a, a very exhortative book. Um, it, it tells you what to do. Uh, so if you're the kind of Christian who likes to be told what to do, uh, the book of James is for you. Uh, in the book of James, I think it averages about two uh, commands uh, per verse. Uh, it's not always two commands in every verse, but it, he tells you a lot of what to do, what not to do, uh, and, and that can be very helpful, that kind of directness uh, for us. Uh, the book of James also seems to be somewhat of an uh, exhortation that is based off of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so I have a challenge for you as we make our way through the book of James. Uh, we'll have in our bulletins at the bottom, uh, if you're taking notes, the read-ahead scripture for the next Sunday uh, listed there. Uh, for this next Sunday, we'll be finishing out the chapter, verse 19 through 27. But alongside of those verses, if you would uh, take up the challenge of reading through Matthew chapter uh, 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and see if you can find where it connects with what we're reading in James. Uh, almost every section in the book of James has a corresponding theme in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus describes what it's like to be in God's kingdom, uh, what you should expect if God is your king, and what you should do if God is your king, and what are the issues if God is your king. All of those things are described in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus's perspective. And James, uh, the brother of Jesus, the bondservant of God, he, he seems to draw heavily from the Sermon on the Mount, and he finds a lot of his exhortations for us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, from that passage. And so uh, if you want to add that to your weekly, weekly uh, Bible reading, uh, the read ahead alongside of the Sermon on the Mount, I think you'll get a lot more out of the, the book of James uh, as we go through it together. Uh, the, the title I've given this morning's sermon is Temptation Lies About the Source of All Good Gifts. And James uh, covers some pretty heavy topics. We go from his uh, very first topic, if you were here last week, where he, he's like, hi, my name's James. Let's talk about trials. And we're like, okay, that was quick. And then he's going to go straight from trials to temptation. Welcome to the Christian life. He doesn't wait till the end to start talking about the hard things, about walking with the Lord um, but he does talk about them in unusual ways. Uh, last time we, we saw that he says, count it all joy when you fall into trials. And now he's going to, in a similar fashion, uh, tell us that it's the blessed man who endures temptation. Notice uh, there in verse 12, God's purpose in temptation uh, isn't to ruin our day. We were having so much fun, and then all of a sudden, now we have this hardship that we don't want to deal with called temptation. Verse 12, he begins with, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Enduring temptation results in blessing, approval of God, and a crown. I'm not sure if that's how you think about temptation. If that was the first thing that came to your mind when you heard temptation, you're like, oh yeah, blessing. <laughs> Crown of life, uh, approval. Uh, those aren't the things that we normally associate it with. And if, if we were to give our own definition of the blessed man, we would be, the blessed man is the one who is never tempted. 
or he immediately gives in to the temptation. When you're fighting a temptation, it's hard, and the longer you fight, the harder it is. Would you describe that as the blessed man? This is how James describes the blessed man. Um, the lie of temptation is that the blessing is in giving in to the temptation. If you do this, you'll be happy. <laughs> if you do this, you'll be satisfied. That's the lie of the temptation. But there is blessing in it, and he gives the reason for it, is that we are approved if we endure, and we will receive a crown, and it's from the Lord. And that approval is from the Lord. But the word temptation here is the same word that we had earlier last week where it was trial. The, the word in the original language has a variety of meanings. You know, when you look up words in a dictionary, it might have one definition in one context and a different definition in another context, but it's the same word. Uh, sometimes we use that to our advantage to make, or at least I do, I'll speak for myself here, uh, dad jokes. We're, there's puns, right? Like in this context, it could mean this. In this context, it could mean that. And here we have a word uh, that's interesting, at least for our Christian life, because we are told that uh, what was a trial is also a temptation. And a temptation is a trial or a test or a temptation. And really, it's a matter of perspective. Uh, the pastor or uh, famous preacher Spurgeon had this to say about it. He said, Satan tempts us, but God tries us. But the same trial may be both a temptation and a trial. And it may be a trial from God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. Just as Job suffered from Satan, and it was a temptation, but he also suffered from God through Satan, and, to, uh, and so it was also to him a trial. And so uh, a test just proves what you know or don't know. If you are in school and they give you a test, with, the purpose of that test is so that you would know what you know and don't know, and that, more importantly, the one who's giving you the grade <laughs> would also know that what you know and don't know because it's their job to make sure you know whatever it is they're trying to teach you. And so a test just reveals the truth of the situation. In a similar fashion, a temptation reveals the truth of the contents of our hearts. And if there is the love of God in our hearts, then we will come to the other side of that approved, and not just approved from uh, our fellow believers or approved from the world around us, uh, but just as uh, Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, he says, present yourself approved to God. And God really can see everything. You know, God gives us tests not because he doesn't know how we're going to handle it. He gives us those tests and those trials because we don't know how we'll <laughs> handle it. We might think we're here and we're actually here, or we might think we're here and we're actually here. I'm not sure if you've ever uh, done something that you didn't know you could do until you were called upon to do it. Like, wow, I didn't know I had it in me to do that. Or... Uh, the opposite, where you thought you had something and you thought you had it down and then you came right in the middle of it and you're like, uh, <laughs> I now know I don't know. Because before you didn't know that you didn't know. <laughs> but that experience brought you to a knowledge of yourself that you did not have before. And so the man who is blessed is the man who has the endurance to 
endure those temptations because ultimately there's a love of God in his heart. Notice that he says he will receive the crown of life. Uh, Paul says that everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Uh, I was a long distance runner in high school and I would run many, many miles and I'd spend lots of time doing that just so I could you know, win a perishable crown. Uh, in Paul's time, the perishable crown was literally a, a, a branch that they plucked off and they made into a little crown and it would last for as long as a branch that has been plucked. <laughs> Not very long, very perishable. Uh, my kids have recently discovered uh, some of the medals I got from my high school running days, and they're like, are these yours? I'm like, yep. And they're like, wow. I'm like, it's really not that impressive. They give out <laughs> lots of medals. I'm like, yep. But those one day will perish. They're, they're going to end up in a landfill someday. They're going to melt down. They're going to, in the end, uh, a fervent heat is how the Bible describes these things, uh, perishable crowns. And yet I spent lots of time, lots of effort, uh, lots of self-control for perishable crowns. Uh, but the endurance that we give to enduring temptations has at the other end of it an unperishable crown. Eternal riches. Paul said of his own life uh, later on in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but uh, not me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Peter writes of the same in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You see, in our relationship with the Lord, uh, the endurance has rewards, not just in this life, certainly in this life as well, but that's not what's highlighted in Scripture. What's highlighted in Scripture are the eternal rewards that there are attached to our obedience here on earth now. But temptation requires that endurance. Again, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means self-controlled. Uh, what that means as a long-distance runner is when you want to stop running, you just keep running. <laughs> when you feel like you're going to die, you just take the, another step. Uh, it requires endurance. That same kind of endurance that it took to endure trials is the same kind of endurance described here. For the believer, though, it's different than for the unbeliever. The Bible tells us with regard to the things that tempt us uh, that there is always a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That is not a promise given to unbelievers, to those who are not in a relationship with God. Uh, God and the Bible describe that person as a slave to sin. They may be able to quit one sin, but it's only to take up another. In Scripture, the believer has the option to whom they will pre present themselves a slave to. We can present ourselves as a servant willingly to the Lord, or we will go back to being a slave to sin. Uh, but we will serve someone, and our life will prove it. What I like here in 
in 1 Corinthians 10.13 is um, that in this hardship, when we're being tempted to be unfaithful, in that very moment, God is faithful to do two things. First, to not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. And we might be in the midst of it and we're like, Lord, this is beyond my ability to bear. But there's another promise in the, the midst of that. The Lord doesn't promise us a life free of temptation, but in the midst of temptation, he provides a way of escape. And the purpose of that is so that you may be able to bear it. That way is always there. Uh, so the next time you're tempted, and there will be a next time you're tempted, look for that way. Look for the way of escape. You know, Jesus was tempted at the very beginning of his outward obedience to the Lord. He was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit came upon him in bodily form, and everybody saw it. Everybody heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you know the very first thing that happened to Jesus? The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days, and the devil was like, you're, you're probably pretty hungry. You should turn this rock into some bread. <laughs> At the end of that temptation time where more temptations would come, uh, it says that the devil left him until an opportune time came. Did you know that there are opportune times of temptation <laughs> for you? If there were for Jesus, there are certainly for us. And Jesus was able to meet each one of those with, uh, uh, thus saith the Lord, this is God's will in this circumstance, not to make the, the rock into bread and not to cast myself off this pinnacle or not to bow down and worship Satan as if that one would be hard to figure out that that's not God's will. <laughs> there is going to be a win and when that win comes, it's going to be an opportune time for you to fall. But it's also an opportune time for you to see the way of escape that God has provided The endurance comes through um, our affections for the Lord. Your love of God is demonstrated by enduring temptation. Your love of God is demonstrated by enduring temptation. Notice what he says there uh, at the end of verse 12. To those who love him. And that really is the key to enduring temptation. Uh, those who love him, that word there for love is the agape love. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him. Um, but the reason why he has to tell us he works all things together for good to those who love him is because sometimes it looks like and it feels like God doesn't love me and I can tell by what's going on to me. If God loved me, <laughs> I wouldn't have this trial if God loved me, I wouldn't have this temptation in front of me right now. But God is using those things for our good. He works those things together for our good. Uh, important to know there in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says he's working all things together for good. There's two different words for good in the uh, Greek language. One is an outward appearance good. The other one is an inward quality of character good. Uh, it's the difference between... Uh, like a showroom car with no engine in it, outward quality, looks excellent. Won't go anywhere just because it has no engine. And uh, my truck that I have, uh, it, it's beat up. If you've seen it, my truck, you understand. Outward, you're like, it's not good. <laughs> and I would say, yes, it's not good outward. 
uh, but it's a Toyota and it has a Toyota engine and it just never stops running. And so inwardly, quality of character, it's good. <laughs> and if you want to guess at which one of those goods God's working together for you, <laughs> it's not the beautiful outside. It's the beautiful and strong inside. That's what God's working together for your good. And that's what he's doing for us, working together for us. And it, there's, there's two temptations that are recorded in Scripture in detail uh, that if you want it to, as your bonus bonus, because I've already given you a bonus uh, reading, read through the very first temptation with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, they were in the perfect world. Everything provided for them. Garden of Eden, they could eat whatever they want, whenever they wanted. And in that garden, there was something there that wasn't going to, like if I had to design my perfect world, I'm not sure if you've ever had this thought, maybe it's just me. Uh, if you're going to design your perfect world, there were a, a few things that I've, when I read scripture were in his perfect world that wouldn't have been in mine. And temptation is one of them. Uh, the other two was, you know, work and having needs that only God could satisfy. But God put the garden, in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put and allowed in the garden the serpent. This was before the fall. God did it for, for their good, but that temptation, it revealed something about the nature and the heart of man. Fast forward to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus hasn't been eating, not a garden <laughs> situation. He hasn't been eating for a while. He's super hungry. And you've got Satan tempting him in the, in the wilderness. And the Lord endured that temptation, and it said something about his heart and his affections. His heart was for his father, and that his affections were for his father, and not his own comfort, not his own glory, not his own ease of life. It, exact opposites. Read through those passages and then look at how he describes temptation and see how the testing proved something about Adam and Eve and how the testing proved something about Jesus. It revealed the affections of the heart. Our affections, our true affections, are revealed by how we handle temptations. Notice about what James says, where temptation starts and where temptation ends. Temptation, as we have mentioned, uh, does not start with God. Uh, notice there in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. The first point that should be clear is temptation does not start with God. The prohibition that he gives here is, let no one say, I am tempted by God. The reason is twofold. First, God cannot be tempted by evil. And second, he himself tempts no one nor does he himself tempt anyone, is how it's phrased there in verse 13. He allows temptation, though, right? He allowed temptation in the garden, but he also allowed temptation in Jesus' own life. If, if this is how the Father treats his son, and we're adopted brothers and sisters, the testing and proving of Jesus' heart uh, was so that we would know more about Jesus. Jesus already knew his heart, but it needed to happen so that we would all know his heart. God allows for temptation, uh, even in the Garden of Eden before the fall, as an opportunity of obedience 
and disobedience. You know, if I gave my kids the option to do what I say or do what I say, that's not a real option. (laughs) If I give my kids the opportunity to be obedient, to the degree to which I'm giving them the opportunity to be obedient is the same degree to which I'm giving them the opportunity to be disobedient. The greater the temptation that we face, the greater the opportunity we have to demonstrate our love toward the Lord. Small temptations reveal small love. Great temptations reveal great love. If somebody were to tempt you to leave your job that you're currently at for another job, and they're like, we'll pay you $10 billion an hour, and you're like, I'll pass. What does that say about the job you have? (laughs) It's worth more. You can't be bought. You can't... Your affections for for your current work can't be changed for a new work. If somebody were to offer you $2 lower and you would still take that job anyway, what does that say about your current job? No, yeah, I'll take whatever. I'll take a pay cut as long as I can leave this job. (laughs) Our actions are an expression of our affections. Where our heart is at is revealed by the options that we're presented with and the choices we make. The temptation was a test, and the purpose of the test was to reveal the true condition of the heart. Temptation doesn't put evil desires in the heart, but it does reveal that they're there. Temptation does not put evil desires into your heart, but it reveals that they've been there the whole time. Verse 14 tells us temptation starts in your heart. Verse 14, but let, but, let each one, uh, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Notice how he describes it. Each one by his own desires. Sometimes we tend to think that the problem is external to us. It's my mom, it's my dad, it's my kids, it's my job, it's my boss, it's my coworkers, it's my employees. You know, if, if they weren't there, this wouldn't be an issue. Adam and Eve, when they were confronted with the, uh, by the Lord, Adam said to the Lord, it's the woman whom you gave me. So there's only like three people in existence, and he's put all of them between him and the problem. Eve, so likewise, said, the serpent. We have more opportunities than Adam and Eve to put more people between us and the problems of our own heart. But the tendency is the same. The tendency is to think that the problem is out there and not in here. Our problem is our heart. We desire evil things. Jeremiah 17, 11 tells us the truth about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, this is our Sermon on the Mount reference, Matthew 5, verse 28, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman, notice to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The problem is not external. The problem is internal. It's the heart. Jesus would say later on in Mark 7, verse 21 through 23, For from within, 
Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, uh, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. There is certainly evil out in the world. There is certainly a devil out there tempting us. Uh, but the only reason why that's a problem to our obedience to the Lord is because of the contents of our own hearts. We need a new heart. We need a heart that loves the Lord more than it loves ourselves. Notice not only where temptation starts, not with the Lord and in our hearts, but notice where temptation ends. Temptation given into leads to sin, and sin ends in death. Note the progression. Desire draws you away. Desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is all grown up, <laughs> leads to death. That's, it describes what would normally be considered a longer process. And I think it's there purposefully. Um, that this thing that starts here starts small, but ends fully grown and brings forth death. This is straightforwardly what the scripture says, that the wages of sin is death. What we earn when we're sinning is death. That's what we've earned. And the problem with sin at times is described quite well in the life of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Moses chose the suffering in the present time rather than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Sin is pleasurable at the beginning, but the end of sin is death. And it always lies about that death part. It says this temporary joy that you have right now will be forever, and it's not. Otherwise, the world would be filled with happy people. <laughs> the world is not filled with happy people. It's because they've been lied to about where joy comes from. They've been lied to about a hope that is real. They have been lied to about pleasures that are forever. They've been lied to about the true source of good gifts. They said you can have it your way and not have to do it God's way, which was ultimately what Satan was offering to Jesus when he was like, just bow down to me and I'll, you know, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. That's what you've come to do, right? I'll make it easy for you. Just worship me. Mission accomplished. Go home. Happy. Easy peasy. Joy forever, I promise. The problem with sin is it's a passing pleasure, but its sorrow lasts much longer. Uh, I'm not sure if you can remember the first time somebody lied to you about how long, uh, you know, a joy could last or something like the first time you were lied to and you realized that you'd been deceived, the feeling that you had in that moment. It's what happens when we're deceived by the temptation. It's like there's this excitement. There's, oh, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And then it's just like it's not. <laughs> and that, that letdown happens every time with the temptation to sin. What sin lies about in the temptation, we're told to in the last 
handful of verses there. Uh, Notice uh, verses 16 through 18. God is the giver of all good gifts. We sang it this morning. God is the giver of all good gifts. Uh, he says there in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Here his prohibition, verse 16, is... Uh, to not be deceived. And he's not talking to deceived people. He's talking to my brethren, my beloved brethren, which means Christians, according to this verse, can be deceived. Who is it that's deceiving you? Well, more often than not, it's our own hearts that are deceiving us. And this is the worst kind of temptation. You can't get away from yourself. Wherever you go, you're there. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get away from uh, the problems that are in our own hearts because we're we're the problem. Scripture tells us, uh, let, um, let no one deceive himself in 1 Corinthians 3.18. If we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves, 1 John 1.8. But that's not the only way we can be deceived. We can be deceived in many ways, and there's many prohibitions against being deceived in Scripture, and here are just a few. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Uh, Paul in uh, Colossians 2, verse 4, Let no one deceive you with persuasive words. Paul in, uh, to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. <laughs> Which means people will try to de deceive you with empty words, with persuasive words, and by any means they can. What are we not supposed to be deceived about? Well, he tells us there, verse 18, where every good gift comes from. He said, do not be deceived. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. The lie of temptation is that good gifts come from some other place than God. That good gifts are within your own grasp, apart from God's providing. Isn't that what was offered in the garden? You can be wise like God, without God. You, you can do this without him. Isn't that every single temptation that Satan presented to Jesus? You can do this without God. But God is the giver of every good gift. And you know what? You can't deceive somebody who knows the truth about something. I'm not sure if somebody's ever tried to lie to you about something you already knew the truth about. And... Uh, it's a good feeling sometimes, right? Somebody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how it is. And you're like, mm-hmm, tell me more. Especially if they're not all that great at it, like my kids sometimes. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't do that. Like, I didn't eat the cookies and the crumbs are all over their face. Yeah, yeah, tell me more about how you didn't eat the cookies. <laughs> Which crumbs are still upon your face? <laughs> right? I'm staring at the truth and you're telling me a lie and it's just really hard for me to believe this. <laughs> Uh, a youth pastor, uh, my youth pastor, when I was a kid, he was a, he used to be a, a police officer, and people would do things right in front of him, and then turn around and tell him they didn't do it, and he'd always tell him the same thing: "I don't know who to believe, you or my lying eyes." <laughs> right? It's super easy to not be deceived when you know the truth, and when you continue to believe the truth, it's easier to endure. The truth about every good gift 
It is, it is from above. It's in God's possession first, and it comes to you from him. Every good gift is from above. In our children's ministry class, we start off class by asking, did you get to do anything fun or exciting this week? And we use that as our thanksgiving to God. Praise the Lord that we got to go, you know, on a, on a walk with our dad or go hiking as a family or visit our uncle or whatever. We do that because every good gift comes from above. Every good gift. The source of every good gift. If it's good, it's from God. If somebody's promising you something good and it comes from some other source, it's not good. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a temptation. It's a test to be passed. God has every good gift and God gives every good gifts. It comes down from the Father. Matthew, again, our Sermon on the Mount reference here, Matthew 7, verse 11, if you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If there is a good gift that you are lacking in your life, ask God. He knows how to give good gifts. I know how to give good gifts, and the Bible says I'm evil. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is what the Bible says about the, the guy teaching the Bible right now. It's like you being all messed up and whatnot. You know how to give good gifts. How much more does God, who is perfect, all-powerful, all-loving? I was once asked while I was at work, hey, what's the good news? And as a Christian, I felt obligated to have good news to share. <laughs> uh, I didn't have an answer in the moment, but I will not be caught unprepared again. Here's my short answer to that quick question, because oftentimes it happens when we're passing in the hallway. What's, what's the good news? As you are unconditionally loved by an almighty God who never changes. You know what that means? That means he's got good gifts. And if you ask, and, they, and, it, and it is truly a good gift, that now's a good time for you to have it, God has it and he wants to give it. And partly he's just waiting for you to ask. When we know that God is good and the giver of all good gifts, we can say no to the temptations when they come because if it's not from him, we know it's not good. Maybe it's just not the right time. My kids often ask for ice cream right before dinner. Good gift, wrong time. <laughs> they may be tempted to go get it themselves and help themselves to it. <laughs> they need to wait for when it's good for them to have it. And then their imperfect father will give a good gift of ice cream after dinner. As evidence that uh, God is the giver of all good gifts. The, the last line there, verse 18, our new life has come from him and the good life still comes from him. Our new life as believers has first come from him and the good life continues. The good gifts continue to come from him. Notice what he says there in verse 18. Our life comes from him, verse 18 of his own will, he, notice, brought us forth by the word of truth. That, that word has the connotations of birth, of new birth for us who are believers. Remember we said that the problem was in our heart. How do you fix a heart problem? Our generation, my generation right now is like, I was born this way. I'm like, yeah, that's why you need to be born again. <laughs> 
I was also born messed up. <laughs> God acknowledges that, but he doesn't leave us there. The, the, the promise of the new covenant is a new heart. Jesus said we had a heart problem so that we would be like, God, I need a new heart. God wants to give us a new heart. God wants us to live with transformed affections for him. Where once only selfishness lived, now a love for the Lord lives. The evidence that he's the giver of good things is he's given us new life. He brought us forth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we would be a demonstration of the goodness of God. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know that the Lord saved you, not just from the world outside, but saved you from yourself. He saved me from myself, <laughs> from the foolish choices I would have made apart from him, and sometimes even from the foolish choices I've made with him. God's grace has come to me upon grace. His mercies are new every morning because that's what we need from the Lord, grace upon grace and new mercies every morning. And this is what we have as believers. This is why blessing sometimes come in the form of temptations and trials. Because it reveals to us the true nature of our heart, where God is still mining out the imperfections, like a car that was abandoned in the desert. Somebody comes and grabs and starts restoring it. The first thing they do is start tearing it all apart, sandblasting it, getting everything off, and you know they're at work on it. it. It wasn't worth much, but it became worth something because they spent time expressing their affections upon it until they brought it back to showroom floor quality. It didn't have value until someone valued it. And that, that's me before the Lord. And he's taken things apart in my life, sandblasted some things, <laughs> just thrown away some things, added some things I never had before. God will accept you wherever you are. However you were born, you can be born again. Just like those guys who go out in the desert and find these abandoned cars, and we'll take them however they are, but they are not content to leave them that way. They'll take them apart, they'll put them back together, and the first thing they like to do is to rev up the engine once they got it in there to see if it's working right. They're tempting it to break. <laughs> They're testing it to show that it works well. They get, take it for test drives once it gets to that stage, right? God does that same work in our life, not because he doesn't know what's going on in our hearts, but so that we know what's going on in our hearts and that we will invite him to continue that work. Have you invited God into your heart at all? Have you invited God again <laughs> to continue the work that he has for you? Until we get to heaven, that work is continued. We have the promise from Scripture that what God has begun in each one of us, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it's a good work that he will see unto completion. That means God started it, and God's going to finish it, which means we need God to start it, and which means we need God to finish it. We need to ask God to do that good work in our own hearts so that way we can endure trials because the affection for God is there. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning uh, for every good gift that comes from you.
Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who, like the rest of us, was born broken with evil affections in our hearts, who has not given their heart to you, Lord, I pray that in this moment they would give their heart to you. Lord, that, that they would see that what you have is what they need and that they would look to you as the giver of all good gifts. Lord, they've done it their own way and it, it's, not, it's brought forth death. Lord, we, we thank you for you, for those of us who have you as our Lord. Lord, remind us in those moments of temptation when they come to look for the way of escape that you have provided. Lord, let these temptations be opportunities for us to demonstrate our love to you. Lord, uh, when we fail, it may surprise us, but it never surprises you. Lord, and you've allowed those things into our lives for our good because you want to work in our hearts. You want to work some things in and you want to work some things out. God, we invite you afresh to be at work in us. Lord, we thank you for loving us as we are. And God, we thank you that you love us enough not to leave us that way. We invite you afresh by the power of your spirit to be at work in us. Lord, we cannot do these things apart from you. But Lord, with you, Lord, all things are possible. Strengthen us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's enjoy some fellowship with one another. Uh, if you have some kids, feel free to collect them as I've gone into some bonus time this morning. If you need any prayer, uh, I will be up front and uh, a few others as well. Let's enjoy some fellowship.